0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. On today's show, we'll be taking a tour of the upstate of South Carolina. If you follow the show, you'll know that in some of our earlier episodes, we've taken a tour of the Lowcountry. So on today's show, join me as we take a tour of Parts Unknown. But first, I'd like to take the time to tell you about Lucky Duck Soapery. That's right. Are you in need of all-natural soaps made from all-natural ingredients that's better for your skin and promotes better health? Then look no further than Lucky Duck Soapery. All-natural, handmade soaps crafted in small batches right here in South Carolina. You can choose from scents like pumpkin souffle, Carolina Fresh, lemon and basil, tobacco and bay, or their limited edition Christmas morning. You can order online at luckyducksoapery.com or stop by their shop in Yemassee, South Carolina and have Samantha and Chase help you find the best soap for your needs. While you're there, step next door and sample some locally sourced spirits at the Lucky Duck Distillery. Chase is more than happy to give you a tour of the operation and maybe a free sample or two. Try his White Lightning, Sunset Margarita, or even Peanut Butter Cup Carolina Distilled whiskeys. No matter which one you choose, you can't go wrong. So head on over to LuckyDuckSoapery.com. That's S-O-A-P-E-R-Y.com, And get your soap today. Now, on with the show. We'll make our first stop in the upper part of the state at Oakwood Cemetery. Which means, it's time to pull up a chair, settle in. And cozy up for the Southern Spectre Podcast. Enjoy. Oakwood Cemetery, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Considered by many to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the state of South Carolina, Oakwood Cemetery resides in Spartanburg but the locals know it by a different name Hell's Gate Dating all the way back to the 1800's it's Spartanburg's oldest cemetery Once you walk inside you may take a gander at how well kept the place is that is until you venture a bit further in Toward the back of the property lies a potter's field which was used throughout the 19th and 20th centuries. The potter's field mainly was used for those individuals who were just too poor to afford a proper burial ceremony. Along with orphaned children, prisoners, or those without families. It's been reported that back in 1914, nearly a hundred graves and bodies of the dearly departed had been dug up and transferred here to Oakwood to make way for new developments elsewhere, possibly causing unrest for the dead. In 2012, things took a more sinister turn for those trying to rest in peace here. One day, the caretaker was making his normal rounds as usual when he came upon a chilling discovery. One of the graves had been tampered with, the concrete tomb was broken and the casket lay pried open. Were these grave robbers, vandals, or maybe even members of a satanic cult? Whoever the responsible party was, they had removed the head from the casket of the tomb they had desecrated. Nearly a month later, the head was returned, discarding it on the grounds as if it were yesterday's garbage. Questions ring out in my head over such discoveries as this. Why remove the head and nothing else? For what purpose? Why, return the head. Did it feel as though a curse had been placed upon you, or maybe your loved ones for what you've done? Were you being haunted? Some have claimed to have seen an apparition referred to as the Lady in White, and it is believed that her son had died, and he was placed here in Oakwood. Some people have even claimed to have felt the Lady in White's pain and suffering she endures for her lost child to the point of feeling sick. Other strange phenomena that has been experienced include cell phones that die immediately when entering these grounds or not being able to make calls, even though they have full signal. Phones have even been said to ring with no incoming calls. Some claim they've answered these phantom phone calls only to hear a busy signal upon answering. Mists, blasts of cold air, and strange lights at night can be seen along with what sounds like small children playing as their laughter echoes around the cemetery. One thing's for certain, there's no rest for the dead here. Herd Park, Greenville County, Tuberculosis Hospital, Greenville, South Carolina. Herd Park has been a lovely addition to the city of Greenville. Kids and adults alike love the scenery and the amenities the park has to offer. Two ball fields, two playgrounds, volleyball court, two horseshoe courts, a walking trail, two shelters for gatherings, and of course, not to mention the stunning views. To the south, the downtown Greenville city skyline. And to the north, Paris Mountain. Although this place has probably seen a number of smiling faces over the years since it was built in 2007, the grounds on which it stands holds a much darker history. The land on which Heard Klotz Park sits was once home to the Greenville County Tuberculosis Hospital. Opened in 1930, the Greenville County Tuberculosis Hospital was built to help fight the war with the deadly disease that had riddled our country. Annually, it housed an average of nearly 40 patients and at one time had enough beds for 140 patients. In 1957, it housed as many as 72 patients. When there wasn't any medications to treat those infected, the hospital served as a place for TB patients to die. The hospital closed its doors in 1970 due to a lack of patients. The hospital sat abandoned until 1990 when the building was used as a filming location for the Julia Roberts movie, Sleeping with the Enemy. Then, one November morning, eight years later, a fire caught and caused about $20,000 in damages. Those who have had the courage over the years to explore the remains of the hospital claim that the ghosts of the patients who died there were still stalking about. Screams, cries, and disembodied footsteps could be heard down the long, empty halls. Legend says that the ghosts that once haunted the halls of the remains of the old hospital now haunt Hardclott's Park. Visitors to the park have reported hearing strange sounds, including loud banging, screams, and the clanging of bells unseen. Those who have wandered through the park at night say they see shadows darting in and out of the darkness. Even those that live near the park have gone as far as to say these shadow-like beings have entered their homes after sundown. One area of the park near a memorial bench is said to be marked with blood from former patients of the old hospital. Legend has it that the blood turns red after a hard rain and just so happens to be the same spot where the sanatorium's morgue formerly stood. Maybe these occurrences can be attributed to the fact that this land the park now rests was once a place of morbid pain and suffering but also to the fact that part of the hospital's basement remains intact and is still used as part of the park. Point set, Bridge History tells us that when the country's roads were being constructed, there were several places that required more effort to get across. Maybe a body of water, a ravine, a canyon, gaps between mountains. Whatever the case, the solution to these problems was a bridge. Our nation holds a number of bridges with history thriving in every brick, every cable, all held together with the blood and sweat of the men and women who built this country. Sometimes, Certain locations, including bridges, can hold on to more from the past than just history. The Poinsett Bridge, the oldest bridge in the state of South Carolina, quite possibly the east coast, is one of these bridges. Poinsett Bridge was built in 1820 and is part of the road that connected Columbia to the mountains of North Carolina. It sits on the 120-acre Poinsett Bridge Heritage Preserve in Landrum, South Carolina. It's believed to have been designed by Robert Mills, the very same architect who designed the Washington Monument. The bridge is a 130-foot structure and at its center a 14-foot Gothic-style arch. Although There is no cut-and-dry backstory to attest to the strange activity experienced here at the Poinsett Bridge in Reserve. It hasn't stopped people from reporting their own experiences. Legend says a slave haunts the bridge and surrounding woods. Another says these ghostly happenings are Indians searching for their lost burial grounds. And even a third goes on to say a mason died during the building of the bridge and his remains are entombed inside to this very day. Visitors to the area have claimed to get an uneasy feeling, especially around the bridge. Some say they felt the touch of a hand while near the bridge. Others experience car troubles and even others say they've witnessed ghostly white figures marching about the surrounding woods. Paranormal investigators have captured several hundred photos of abnormalities anomalies, unexplained orbs, and even a mist the size of a man. Investigators have claimed to have seen unexplainable red and white lights about the area. Other paranormal teams have reported high EMF readings, even though the bridge is nowhere near anything remotely electrical. Paranormal investigators also have claimed to see a large white being believed to be the ghost of an Indian shaman. Not to mention disembodied screams and moans. Sounds to me that something spooky is most definitely afoot at the Set Bridge. And now, the ghost hound of Goshen. A majority of northeastern Union County, South Carolina, is comprised of the Sumter National Forest. But before it was a national forest, it was just rural, country land. Thick, dense woods, thorns and brush. Indigenous wildlife abound. Old Buncombe Road runs northwest to southeast through the forest and was once home to small communities such as Sandhook, Maybenton, and Cross Keys. Goshen Hills sits between Maybenton and Cross Keys, and this is where our story unfolds. Legend says that back in the early 1850s, a salesman was traveling just passing through Goshen Hill along with his oversized, large, all-white dog, along for the journey. The dog offered company, as well as means of protection. The man was making his rounds when a murder had taken place somewhere in the area. Soon, a mob, made up of townspeople and locals, had formed and they wanted justice. Since this salesman was an outsider, he must be the killer. The angry mob took matters into their own hands, and despite the large dog's last-ditch efforts to protect his beloved master, the salesman was lynched by the mob in a nearby tree. The large white beast did, however, manage to bite several people before one man shot the dog and he ran off into the woods nearby. In the hours that passed after his master's death, Several people had witnessed the dog lying under his master where he hung and not letting anyone near the body. After a few days, it had become clear to the locals that indeed someone else turned up as the murderer, clearing the already dead man of his crimes. No one wanted to bury the body, let alone go near it at this juncture. In the weeks that followed, The large white dog never left his master's body. Then, one morning, the dog and the corpse were gone. Thinking the locals could finally go about their lives without having to see that dog or that hanging body to remind them of the grave mistake they had made, before long, slaves about the area began to notice and report sightings of a large white ghost-like dog That would chase them through the woods and down the road of course no one would believe the stories that were being told until one day a local doctor dr george douglas witnessed the spectacle for himself in 1855 soon another doctor made the discovery for himself telling locals he had also saw the spectral hound most folks chased by the demon dog suffered no harm but those folks that were part of the mob that had killed his master were not so fortunate. One man was hauling local produce by horse and wagon when his caravan was spooked so bad by the ghost hound that the entire wagon turned over, spilling the goods all over the road. The driver was then chased by the large white beast as he was snarling and nipping at his heels the whole way. The ghost hound bit the hand of one member of the mob so bad, it crippled his hand, while another was almost drowned in the creek nearby when the dog knocked him in. One mob member was riding as hard and as fast as his horse would allow when the hound attacked, biting his foot through his boot, causing him to walk the rest of his days with a limp. Those that had the opportunity to defend themselves from the savage beast had sworn that when they had aimed their guns and pulled the trigger, the bullets seemed to pass right through the ghost white dog. One thing was perfectly clear. The dog had returned from beyond the grave to seek revenge for his master. All those involved with his master's death were punished in some way. But the man that had shot the dog got it the worst of all although the man was never attacked himself and never actually saw the dog he lived in fear constantly then one day the man's young four-year-old son up and vanished, close to where these ghost dog attacks had been taking place then sometime during the 1920s the attacks had ceased and were now only threats and sightings of the large vengeful beast Legend says it's due to the fact that the last of the lynch mob had finally passed. Then, in 1936, Barry Sanders claims he was chased all the way home by the ghost, but no harm befell him. Those who know the area and still live along Old Buncombe Road claim the ghost hound of Goshen still makes occasional appearances from the Ebenezer Church to Goshen Hill not far from where the lynching took place. The following is an excerpt from the article I Know What I Saw by Roger McCready of the September 2015 column of Capital at Play. You can find this article on capitalatplay.com forward slash I Know What I Saw. Now I should point out that, to paraphrase what Dickens said about Scrooge, my father had as little of what might be called imagination about him as any man in South Carolina. He was a football legend and a war hero, but he was no storyteller, or so I thought. He lit one of the luckies that would eventually kill him and leaned back in a wicker chair. Well now, he began, and this is what he said. Quote, You know our old place was down from Santook, right around the corner from that old Ebenezer church. I reckon I was eleven, twelve years old, and I had a pony. And one of my chores in the evening was to go down the big lower pasture, where it backed up to the road just a ways from the cemetery, and herd the cows on up to the barn. Now this one time, I was doing that, and I saw a cow was missing. This was in the fall of the year, and the sun was about to set. I didn't like being down there with it getting dark, but your grandmother would have skimped me if I left the cow out. So I rode on down to where our fence bordered the road and started looking at the barbed wire fence we had down there. I heard it before I saw it. Something behind me, running fast along the road. I turned, and the biggest... Meanest looking dog I ever saw was running straight at us. There was nothing between him and us but that barbed wire fence. The dog didn't bark, howl, make a sound, except his feet, running, running, and his eyes. It was full dark on the side porch now, and the crickets and Katy did seem to have fallen silent. The old man dragged on his lucky Its tip glowed briefly. In the same low, matter of fact voice, he said, I was scared to death. And the pony, well, he bucked and threw me slam into that barbed wire fence and took off. When I picked myself up, the dog was gone, just gone. But I took off running and didn't stop till I was at the house. I was hollering at the top of my lungs. I must have scared Mama because she didn't say a word about me having lost a cow and my horse, both. I'd been so scared I hadn't even noticed I was cut pretty bad from the barbed wire. She cleaned me up and bandaged me. I slept with the light on in my room that night. The horse and the cow came home by themselves in the morning. We had a telephone by then. And Mama called everybody in the neighborhood, but nobody owned a big white dog. But she did tell me it was okay if I wanted to start bringing the cows up earlier in the afternoon. I don't know if she believed I'd seen what I said I had, but she knew I believed it. The old man got up and flicked the light switch, banishing the shadows and filling the porch with the light of reason. Then he pulled up his shirt. On his right side, extending from his armpit to the middle of his ribcage, were clusters of small white scars, evenly spaced about four inches apart. Quote, That's from where the pony threw me into the barbed wire, he said. I know what I saw. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Specter Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. I really enjoyed kind of taking a a trip down a different road just to kind of see what else South Carolina has to offer a lot of these I didn't even know about. So it's kind of good to get out and, you know, try something different, uh, so I really did enjoy this episode and I hope you guys did as well. hope you learned something from it just as much as I did. Once again, if you're ever near Yemassee, South Carolina, be sure to stop in and see Chase and Samantha at the Lucky Duck Sopery. and be sure to check out the Lucky Duck Distillery as well. You can also find them on, I think you can find them on Facebook, Lucky Duck Sopery, as well as their uh, webpage, LuckyDuckSoapery.com they'll ship it straight to your door We you got plenty of soaps to choose from they all smell great um, also be sure to check us out on facebook at the southern inspector podcast and be sure to find me on instagram at the southern Specter. ladies and gentlemen until we meet again next time stay safe out there love you guys